the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Weekday evenings on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. It's 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. Host Daryl Wood brings you the day's news and trending topics as only he can with a unique blend of conservative opinion, constitutionalism, and thought-provoking analysis. Join the conversation. 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. A daily look at the news in a way you won't hear anywhere else. Tune in to 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. Or stream at PatriotDetroit.com. You are in, in what part of the country? <laughs> Southwest Colorado. Wonderful. How are you picking us up? Oh, I stream you guys on my uh, iPhone every day. Fantastic. Um, I, I am a resident of Sterling Heights, but uh, I frequently come to Southwest Colorado. I am just thrilled to be hearing from you out there in Colorado. Continue to listen, tune in again, and call at your earliest convenience. Godspeed. Run to Win with Daryl Wood, Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. on Faith Talk Detroit. Welcome to the Jewish Hour. I'm your host, Herschel Finn, and we've got a really awesome show for you today. In this half hour of the show, we'll be interviewing Nathan Lewin. We've had him on a bunch of times when it was like something really special to talk about. This is another special thing to talk about. We'll be discussing the Ann Arbor case of Beth Israel versus, I don't know who they're versus, but people who have been demonstrating outside of their building every Saturday morning for the last 19 years. And uh, this is something that's this is going to be amazing. Just you want to really. The second half of the hour, is, we'll be talking about the portion of Vayakhel, which is can be found in chapter 35 of the book of Exodus. We've got wonderful music throughout the show, a dynamic Hasidic story, one of my favorites, as a matter of fact. And before we do anything else, let's go right to the news. <laughs> Once again, Israel bombed Hezbollah sites in Syria. Three raids were carried out this past week. No casualties were reported. Israeli gross domestic product grow, grew by 8.1% in 2021. It follows a 2.2 reduction in the gross domestic product in 2020. So that means it's like 10% better than the year before. Israel has donated 16,000 COVID tests to the Philippines. That's just so that they can, you've got extras, we'll give you some. Two, eighth, two earthquakes were felt in northern Israel. One measured 3.5, the other 3.1. There were no casualties and minimal damage, at least for that. Latvia's parliament passed a bill that will give $45 million to the country's Jewish community as payback for the Holocaust. Payments will be made over 10 years. 
And finally, Belgium's Royal Museum of Fine Arts returned the painting Flowers by Corinth to the great-grandchildren of the Jewish couple who owned the artwork work before it was stolen by Nazis. And that's the news. Why go to a hospital to get healthy? At Encompass Healthcare, you get the state-of-the-art wound care like in a hospital. The same medicines, the same everything without being in a hospital. Why put yourself at risk of getting a hospital-borne infection? Did you know that last year, one in six people died in America because of infections they got in hospitals? Encompass Healthcare is an outpatient facility. That means you get your wound care treatment and then go home. There are no wait times at Encompass Healthcare like in ERs. Healthcare is personal and works better, faster, and easier. Encompass Healthcare provides a state-of-the-art outpatient facility close to where you live. Call 248-624-9800. That's 624-9800. Auto accident, workman's comp, and most insurances accepted. Encompass Healthcare's goal is to get you healthy with as little disturbance to your daily activities. Call 248-624-9800. Herschel Finman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. Let's start with a song, something upbeat. This is called Tate Mame, which means father and mother. Uh, it's based on a line taken from the grace after meals, which is that God should please find mercy for my father and mother, which some people interpret as father and mother. Other people refer to it as the divine presence and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So that, take it how you like it. And this is Shmuel Younger. Let's listen.
Want assurance of quality and excellence in kosher? Look for the Michigan K on the label. What's it look like? The Lower Peninsula of Michigan with a K. It's a symbol of the Michigan Kosher Supervisors. Go to their website, mycosup.com. That's M-I for Michigan, K-O for kosher, and S-U-P for supervisors, mycosup.com, and find this month's featured products. You'll find Michigan K products wherever fine food is sold, especially at Natural Food Patch on West Nine Mile Road in Ferndale. Here you're listening to the Jewish Hour. We have online Mr. Nathan Lewin, a distinguished privilege for us. This is not the first time we've had Mr. Lewin on. Mr. Lewin is a noted uh, lawyer in Washington who does First Amendment litigation primarily. We had him on way back when talking about the menorah and the library for the Lubavitcher Lubavitcher Library in in Brooklyn. And now we're going to have Mr. Lewin on because of a case that's going on locally here in Ann Arbor. For the last, as we've been reporting on the show for many years, the last 19 years it's going on now. The demonstration is going on in front of Beth Israel Congregation in Ann Arbor every Saturday morning, and my grandmother, my bubby, used to say, don't make a federal case out of things when when you know, when you people would start complaining, but we're making a federal case out of it. It's going to the Supreme Court. How are you today, Mr. Lewin? Very well, thank you. How are you? I gather it's snowing out there. It's um, pretty sunny here in Washington, D.C. Okay, thank you very much. <laughs> that makes me feel better. <laughs> Anyway, okay, so uh, for those people who have not been listening to the Jewish Hour for the last 19 years when this whole story started, what's, what's, what is this that's going on in Ann Arbor? Well, there's been, for the last 19 years, uh, every Saturday morning, every Shabbat morning, when uh, people are coming to the synagogue to uh, Shabbat services, at precisely that time, and not at other times, but specifically when they're gathering to daven, to pray on Shabbat morning, uh, a a group of uh, opponents whose motives seem to be tied to anti-Semitism from various kind of uh, indications in, uh, that have been reported in the media. I didn't even realize the, the extent to which uh, they were tied to other anti-Semitic activity. But anyway, this group has been gathering around the synagogue on Shabbat mornings, on Saturday mornings, precisely at the time when people are coming and are praying in the synagogue with signs that are not only anti-Israel, but explicitly uh, anti-Semitic. I mean, the signs say things like Jewish power corrupts, resist Jewish power, stop funding Israel, uh, no more Holocaust movies, uh, and a lot of anti-Israel signs. They don't uh, block the entrance, physically block the entrance to the synagogue, to the shul. But they're certainly there to intimidate and harass the people who are coming to engage in activity, which is the first, the first right protected under the Bill of Rights in the U.S. Constitution, which is the right to the free exercise of religion. So it is Demonstra- demonstrably aimed at 
religion and religious exercise. Okay. Now, so this is, this is going on every week for 19 years. That's, I mean, not to say, I'm just going to be like difficult advocate over here. It gets cold in the wintertime at nine o'clock in the morning when summer, when, when uh, synagogue starts. And like there's, in Arbor, it snows more than in Detroit. And so these guys are standing out in the snow. And, and if it's going on for 19 years, and I'd be, say, like the rabbi over there, I'd kind of like go over and say, hey, listen, you want some like hot chocolate or something? Can we do something for you guys? I mean, it's just like you're here every week and we got, to, we, we know you already. It's just like, has there been any like dialogue between them? Like, what do these people want? Well, there have been, at least, again, I uh, am not on the premises and don't know all the details of the case. Those would be presented in a trial if and when a trial were held. Uh, I'm told that uh, some of the congregants have talked to the demonstrators, and the response has been uh, virulently anti-Semitic. For example... Uh, if they tell the demonstrators anything about the Holocaust, the response is, well, the Israelis killed Palestinians. Um, I mean, there's no comparison between the self-defense that Israel has to do with regard to Hamas or those who are raining uh, uh, rockets on Israeli civilians to what Nazi Germany did to the Jews in the Shoah, and yet that's the response that they've gotten when they've orally spoken to them. Um, So these people are plainly hostile to Jews, and they're trying to intimidate and harass Jews when Jews are going into the synagogue. The really, uh, to me at least, the most surprising aspect of the case when I first learned of it was that the members of the synagogue had tolerated this for 18 years. I was told that there were constitutional law professors who were members of the synagogue who said, well, this is just free speech. You've got to allow it. And at least so far as I'm concerned, people can speak. They have a right to be haters. They have a right to attack Jews if they like. This is a free country. They can do that with speech. They can write things about Jews if they like, but that does not mean that they can surround the synagogue with what they're saying when they're not trying to persuade anybody with what they're doing. They're just trying to harass and intimidate the free exercise of religion. So I have agreed pro bono to uh, take this case to the Supreme Court because what happened was... The district judge who heard the case said, well, these plaintiffs, the people who brought the case finally, have no standing. All that they've done is their feelings have been hurt. That's all. So they can't bring a lawsuit. Well, that was clearly wrong. And that was appealed to the Court of Appeals. And the Court of Appeals said to the district judge, basically, That's wrong. Of course they have a right to bring a lawsuit. And then, surprisingly, the three judges of the Court of Appeals, rather than doing what courts have done all over the country when there's been an initial ruling of this kind, which has been reversed, 
which is to send the case back to the district judge. Instead, the Court of Appeals went on to say, oh, well, this is just part of the Israeli-Palestinian dispute and is protected as free speech. Well, to, to me, it's clear that it's not free speech at all. It's simply harassment and intimidation and denial of the freedom of religion. That's what's important. Okay, in this case. Let me jump in. Our guest today is Nathan Lewin. We're talking about the court case involving the demonstrators outside the Beth Israel congregation in Ann Arbor who've been doing it for about 19 years. So you, you've answered my, one of my questions I was going to ask as the synagogue itself did not bring the lawsuit. It was rather two members and primarily one member of the, the congregation that said, okay, I've had enough of it. And I, you also answered is because there were members of the congregation who were, as you say, knew the, know the Constitution and say it's guaranteed what they're doing is, is protected by the Constitution as freedom of free speech. So what then was the rationale of this person who, these two people who were, they're not lawyers, they're going against other people in the congregation, what was, what was their case that they're trying to get into the U.S. District Court, Nathan Lewin? Well, I mean, their claim, as it was presented, it was never really fully presented to the District Court because, as I've explained, the District Court said, well, you have no basis for going ahead. It's just your feelings are hurt. Nobody has stopped you from going into the synagogue. That was wrong, but the District Judge never considered the substance of the claim, which is that this activity was really harassment and intimidation of prayer. Now, that that was not emphasized that much in the few papers that were filed uh, in the district court or in the court of appeals, but I think when I read about it, I wrote an article about it in which I said this is a clear and present danger to Jews in America because this is how hostility and violence against Jews has historically begun. I'm a, I'm a victim of, of the Shoah, of the Holocaust. Three of my grandparents were killed in the, in the Shoah. I do not make analogies to the Holocaust. I just do not. I think that generally they're totally inept. But historically, one has to consider what happened in Germany. And with the rise of Hitler, the very first kinds of steps that were taken there, as in history against Jews historically, was ganging up at the entrance of the synagogues because they knew the Jews were coming there. And even before there was violence, there was anti-Semitic hostility expressed in terms of intimidating and harassing Jews coming to worship. And to me, at least, the Court of Appeals was so clearly wrong a very, very smart judge on the Court of Appeals, who's really a legal expert, just totally overlooked that. And he said, oh, this is speech, because it's part of the Israeli-Palestinian debate. 
that was clearly wrong. And I think it was a sign of the dangers to Jews in the United States. And this was before the Colleyville, Texas incident, uh, which demonstrated, of course, what how Jews are endangered in the United States. But to allow people to gang up at a synagogue on Saturday mornings when people are coming to pray in shul and to have signs that talk about Jewish power and that Israel is an apartheid state and these kinds of attacks, that's not what free speech is about in the United States. Okay. Under, understood. Okay, so now you uh, immediately following the Colleyville incident, the uh, city council of Ann Arbor came out with a resolution condemning. Finally, there they had all kinds of uh, of uh, means by which they tried to approach the city council to get them to stop doing it over the years, and the city council never really addressed it and didn't want to do it. Ann Arbor is known as a super liberal place where you know super liberal ideas are uh, the word radical would be already moderate um but suddenly after Colleyville, they said nope we're condemning it shouldn't that have put an end to it mr lewin the city council says you, we don't want you doing this anymore well <laughs> the city council's reversal does not uh, justify or uh really remove the fact that they were complicit in it for all these years. The city of Ann Arbor was, I mean, my client who who brought the lawsuit um, complained, uh, his attorney complained to the city of Ann Arbor, and they refused to do anything about it. They took the position, as I say, of these constitutional law professors, well, this is free speech. It's not free speech. It's intimidation of religion. It's danger to Jews as Jews, not simply a free speech statement that you can make in a public place. So the city of Ann Arbor is a defendant in this lawsuit, and they are going to have to explain when the case gets to trial all the things that they did over all those years when they refused to become involved and they protected the demonstrators. They're liable. The city of Ann Arbor is, so far as I can tell, again, I'm not I'm not a master of the facts of this case. I have looked at the law and I'm dealing with it on the broad legal principles. But whatever lawyer represents my client when the case hopefully goes back for trial in the federal court if the Supreme Court takes it and reverses the decision of the Court of Appeals, will be able to prove that the city of Ann Arbor was involved and participated in these violations over all these years. Now they have belatedly, because they see what the fruit is of this kind of activity, they belatedly said, they condemn anti-Semitism. That does not uh, wipe, make them innocent and wipe clean what they've done wrong. 
Okay, so again, our guest today is Nathan Lewin. We're talking about a case which will hopefully be heard by the Supreme Court sometime next year, early next year, with uh, the congregation Beth Israel of Ann Arbor versus the the de- people who are demonstrating for the last 19 years. Okay, so when approaching the Supreme Court, so the easiest thing to do is show legal precedent. Are there other cases over the last 200-and-something years of a freedom of speech versus a freedom of religion case, Mr. Lewin? No, not. The fact is that there's no clear precedent in terms of people claiming uh, free speech rights. There are uh, limitations on free speech. After all, fighting words can't be protected by free speech. Some people have said to me, oh, these are fighting words. I don't know. I don't think I have to uh, meet the very high standard for fighting words because these are attacks made on religion, which is different than fighting words. There are limitations to free speech, and I think that one of the limitations that the Supreme Court should impose, and this is why this case is important, is that you can't get around, surround a place of worship and do this. I mean, if this is permissible, can you imagine what would what an uproar would be in this country if mosques were suddenly surrounded by people who really had opposition to Islam and violent Islam, and they had signs with them talking about the tax on Sharia law and what the Taliban is doing and just stood around the mosques when the people came to pray in the mosques. This is an opening for that kind of attack or on Catholic churches for that matter. It's different. It's not speech. It's harassment, intimidation, and an attempt to prevent worship, which as I say, is the first right specified in the Bill of Rights. Okay, so why then um, the framers of the Constitution and whatever their wisdom was decided to put freedom of speech and freedom of religion and the right of assembly all in the same paragraph? Um, as <laughs> If it would be Torah, Lahavdil. So we could say, well, the first one in the Pusik, the first one in the verse is takes more precedent than the second one. That's why the first one is first and the second one is second. Can we say the same thing about the Constitution? Is in other words, my how? What's the logic then in presenting to the Supreme Court that they should be downplaying freedom of speech and upplaying freedom of religion when you could say, well, maybe freedom of religion, take, freedom of speech is is more important than freedom of religion, Mister Lewin? Well, in this case, it's very easy, really, the request that was made repeatedly and that Ann Arbor rejected was just to remove these people and put them further away from the synagogue. If they're 500 or 1,000 feet away from the synagogue, they don't intimidate as much. They can express their freedom of speech. There are ways that you can reconcile. Nobody is saying to them, You can't put up your signs someplace. You can put them up someplace, but not as close as you were to those who were going 
on on Shabbat morning to worship. Go ahead, stand a thousand feet away with your signs if you like. That's far less intimidating and maybe not intimidating at all. The Jews who went to the synagogue know that there are opponents in this country. There are haters. There are anti-Semites. They express themselves under the First Amendment in various ways and in various means. And we may think that they are dangerous, but in the United States, because of the First Amendment, they're entitled to say what they feel. Um, And in this case, that would be the answer. Well, I have a right not to be intimidated. You have a right to speak, so you can speak from a thousand feet away. Okay, that's the understood. Ann Arbor police refuse to remove the demonstrators and tell them to go back. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's understood. Now, you mentioned before that what you'd be looking at is for the Supreme Court to say that the Court of Appeals was wrong and that the case could go to trial. Wouldn't it, if you're going to go, if you're going to go already to the Supreme Court already, shouldn't you have them decide that, yes, freedom of religion precedent, takes precedent over freedom of speech and therefore not have to go back to the district court? No, you can't. In, in, the, in the United States, you can file a complaint, and then you have to prove your case. You have to establish the facts that make out your case. Uh, all that we're saying is uh, you, you don't come to the Supreme Court when there's no record in the case yet. I mean, all that had happened in the case was that my client filed his complaint. And then the other side, supported, I must say, very surprisingly by the ACLU and by briefs filed by Jewish lawyers, came in and opposed it and said the case should be dismissed. We're just asking to see, we're just asking to have an opportunity to present the facts to the district court. There are no you know, there's no record in this case yet of any facts. We can't tell the Supreme Court you have to decide in favor of the plaintiffs. The procedure in the United States is you file your complaint, the other side answers, there may then be discovery, then there may be a trial. And that's that's how facts are established for the purpose of a decision by a district judge. Okay, so now if you're, so I'm, I'm ignorant of how these things work, and you'll probably you'll enlighten us. So if all you want is for the case to go back to the to the district court, which is in Detroit, one judge, couldn't the, the Supreme Court just like say, couldn't we get like one judge to say, okay, I think in my opinion we should go back, and then he can sign like a thing putting a stay on the Court of Appeals. It has to be like the Supreme Court has to look at it in October and decide if they're going to go through it and make a whole big thing, and it's like, you know, we're going to get all the, everybody's going to present legal arguments, and then we're going to make a whole big thing like the world is coming to an end is what it sounds like, and what all you really want is just to be a, have the ability to talk. Isn't there a shortcut? Unfortunately not, because what the Court of Appeals judge, the three judges led an opinion by the chief judge of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit, in in its opinion, just went out on their own and they said, we're dismissing this case on the basis of the judgment that that court issued, the case is over, finished. 
There's nothing more you can do with regard to it. So therefore, you have to go to the Supreme Court to say, well, listen, give us a chance to present our case. And what's even more outrageous, and I think this has been reported by the media, is that now while we're trying to go to the Supreme Court, the district judge, who I must say the trial lawyer, I don't know the facts, but the district judge apparently in this case, the trial lawyer felt that the district judge was biased and moved to dismiss the case, dismiss her, that judge, from the case. I don't know whether the judge was biased or not, but the interesting thing is that even while the case is on its way to the Supreme Court, the district judge entered an order saying that the plaintiffs in the case, my client and a co-plaintiff, will have to pay the lawyer's fees of the defendants, $150,000 in lawyer's fees for having brought the case. Now, the case is not... That is an order that is so rarely issued that a plaintiff is, is told, you have to pay the defendant's lawyer's fees. And yet the judge has done this while the case is on its way to possible decision by the Supreme Court. You have to wonder about what's going on. Okay. So at this point, Mr. Lynn, we've got to wrap this up. We're gonna, unfortunately, we can talk more about it, but we're, gonna, we're coming to the end of this segment. So basically right now, you've, you've filed all the paperwork, and now you're just in a holding pattern, and you just it's a waiting game at this point? Is there no, anything that I can be done? No, I have gotten an extension of time in which to file the, what's called a petition for certiorari, which is a petition to the Supreme Court to hear the case. I will be filing that petition shortly. I'm working on it now. As a matter of fact, right now, as you called, I have on my computer a draft of the petition that I'm working on, and it will be filed sometime before the 1st of April because the Supreme Court Justice has granted me an extension of time. I'm first coming into the, I first came into the case after the Court of Appeals decision. So I'm working on that petition. It will be filed, and then I suppose the other side will file a brief in opposition, and the court will decide sometime in May or June whether they will hear the case. Okay. Now, so when I first spoke to you today, you mentioned that it's your policy that you do not talk about cases that are ongoing because you didn't want them to be, quote unquote, uh, decided in the media. But you felt that coming on the show today was important. What's so important about this case that you decided to actually come and talk about it while it's an ongoing case, Mr. Lewin? Because it's not. I've handled other Jewish interest cases, but this is a case which, as I said in our article that I wrote before I was involved in the case, when I read the opinion, I think this case, this decision, is a clear and present danger. That's the standard under the free speech clause for stopping free speech. If free speech, if the speech is a clear and present danger, then it can be prevented. I think this decision is a clear and present danger to Jews in the United States. And I would like to make them aware of it. And hopefully there will be Jewish organizations and other maybe non-Jewish organizations 
that will support my request when I file it that the Supreme Court reverse the decision of the Court of Appeals and allow the case to proceed. That's Okay, that's wonderful. Okay, I feel uh, duly informed, and thank you so much. Our guest today is Mr. Nathan Lewin. He is a lawyer from Washington, D.C. He is going to be petitioning the Supreme Court in the Congregation Beth Israel. It's not exactly congregation. It's uh, the plaintiffs uh, versus the people who are demonstrating for the last 19 years outside the synagogue. We want to thank you so much, and we hope. Yeah, let maybe... me let me just correct that it. it's not the congregation; it's the individual member who's doing right. the congregation is not a part. Although the rabbi, I think, from what I've read of interviews of him, by him, is supportive now of the position that this should be stopped. But yeah, the congregation is not a party in the case. Understood. Okay. We want to thank you so much for coming on and sharing your your insights and information. And we wish you wish you very much success in this case, Mr. Nathan Lewin. Thank you very much. Thank you. Take care. We're going to take a are we going to take a quick commercial? We're going to, yeah, let's take a quick commercial break. We're going to take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. We all know there's an opiate epidemic. But Advanced Rapid Detox has a solution for people addicted to pain pills, heroin, and dependent on Suboxone and Methadone. Advanced Rapid Detox performs detox under sedation in the hospital. Patients sleep through withdrawals and wake up without cravings. Dr. Julia Aronoff and the staff at Advanced Rapid Detox help people restore their lives and the lives of their families. Addiction affects everyone, even in the Jewish community, and Advanced Rapid Detox is there to help. Call. 800-603-1813. That's 800-603-1813. Or visit them online at www.advancedrapiddetox.com. Herschel Finman here. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. Boy, do I feel smarter now that we just had Mr. Lewin on. He's definitely one of the smart people in the world. I wish the people in Ann Arbor all the best with this. Um, This this could be uh, earth-shattering. Up next for your listening pleasure, this is the Tritone Quartet. They are a klezmer band out of Israel, and this is called Dancing with the Rebbe, which sometimes is called the Rebbe Elimelech. Let's listen.
was the Tritone Quartet. Up next, this is Yaakov Stark, and this is called A Shabbos Tune.
Why go to a hospital to get healthy? At Encompass Healthcare, you get the state-of-the-art wound care like in a hospital. The same medicines, the same everything without being in a hospital. Why put yourself at risk of getting a hospital-borne infection? Did you know that last year, one in six people died in America because of infections they got in hospitals? Encompass Healthcare is an outpatient facility. That means you get your wound care treatment and then go home. There are no wait times at Encompass Healthcare like in ERs. Healthcare is personal and works better, faster, and easier. Encompass Healthcare provides a state-of-the-art outpatient facility close to where you live. Call 248-624-9800. That's 624-9800. Auto accident, workman's comp, and most insurance is accepted. Encompass Healthcare's goal is to get you healthy with as little disturbance to your daily activities. Call 248-624-9800. Herschel Finman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. This week in the synagogue is a portion of Vayakhel. It is read, uh, it is uh, chapter 35 and following in the book of Exodus. The majority of the portion speaks about the making of the sanctuary. Now, for all intents and purposes, it's a winter rerun because three weeks ago we had the portion of Truma, which talked about the making of the sanctuary. And we talked about that then, so we're not going to talk about it now. But at the beginning of the portion, Moshe gathers the people together and tells them about the Shabbos. Now, you may say, wait a minute, talk about winter reruns. We had the Shabbos mentioned in the portion of Beshalach. We had the Shabbos mentioned, that's chapter 14 or so. We had a chapter of Beshalach mentioned in the portion of Yisro, in chapter 19, the Ten Commandments. We had it mentioned in Mishpatim. We had it mentioned, This is, it's mentioned a lot. In fact, if you really want to know about it, the commandment of keeping the Shabbos is mentioned 39 times in the five books of Moses. More than any other th- other commandment. And we look, you see, what's the deal? Well, the, the Greeks, believe it or not, had it right. One of the things during the time of Hanukkah with the Maccabees that the Greeks came down on was, the, was Sabbath observance. And the rationale was, you want to take a day off, take a day off. But does your whole religion have to revolve around your day off such that, for example, your baker and your butcher have to be people who keep the Shabbos? What's, What's keeping Shabbos got to do with knowing how to slaughter meat and baking bread? But that's exactly it. In Judaism, our religion does revolve around our day off. We call somebody a Shomer Shabbos. That's the litmus test as to how dedicated does a person want to be for, to, to Judaism. I mean, people do, Jews like to do Jewish things. Whether it's something so simple as a bagel with a schmear on a Sunday morning over the New York Times, or whether it's like to go full force with beautifying every single commandment. People, people like doing mitzvahs. It says it's an interesting thing. It says if you're going to borrow something from somebody, you have to ask them. But let's say you want to borrow something from them for the purpose of a mitzvah. You don't have to ask because people like doing things with, like doing mitzvahs with their, like doing the commandments with their money. But the keeping of the Shabbos is such an important thing that the Almighty wants to say to us it's not a day off, it's our lives. 
It's the way in which Jews have been able to survive. When you think about it, okay, Sunday, what am I doing? I'm basically cleaning up for Shabbos, and Sunday night dinner is usually leftovers, if there are any, which most of the time there's not. Baruch Hashem, my wife is a good cook. Monday, okay, I'm into the work week. Tuesday, into the work week, I'm working. Wednesday, I'm already thinking, you know, I mean, actually, with with Jewish Ferndale now, so it's like Tuesday, I'm already thinking, we're going to do Shabbos this week, how we're going to do it already, and Wednesday, I'm already starting drawing up lists, and how we're going to do this, and what's going to be Thursday. Thursday is totally and completely, like, geared for Shabbos preparation. Friday, forget about it. Friday does not exist. I wake up pre-dawn, and it doesn't matter if we're talking in the middle of the winter or the middle of the summer. I am running all day long to try to get everything done before Shabbos. And then comes the Shabbos. And you know what? Ba Shabbos, Ba Manucha. Shabbos comes, it's a holiday. It's a true day off. I've got no worries. I've got nothing to worry about. I have nothing to, all the problems in the world, they're out there someplace. And I figure, look, if there's something earth shattering, I need to know about it. Someone will come and tell me about it, which the last time that happened was, unfortunately, with the Trio Life Synagogue. Somebody came and knocked on my door and said, did you know that, the, let me tell you, you didn't hear about it, Rob, because you're off the grid. I don't listen to the radio, nothing. Because it's total just like, <sighs> this happened. And then we went went into action, and then Sunday morning there was already a vigil for Jewish Ferndale. Because that's what Shabbos is. I only recommend, I recommend to my friends that they do Shabbos just once a week. That's all. we got to take a quick commercial break. We're running out of time over here. Don't go away. One of my favorite Hasidic stories coming up. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. Hi, this is Spex Howard. The Spex Howard School of Media Arts is proud to have been a sponsor of The Jewish Hour and bring quality radio programming to the community. While much of the funding comes from its sponsors, listeners like you help keep The Jewish Hour on the air. Please send your tax-deductible donation to The Jewish Hour 1725 Pinecrest Drive, Ferndale, Michigan, 48220. That's 1725 Pinecrest Drive, Ferndale, Michigan, 48220. Your help is greatly appreciated. Thank you very much. Herschel Finman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. Want to get in touch with me? Go to rabbifinman.com. If you're listening to rabbifinman.com right now, don't <laughs> wait till the end of the show because if you click off, even it stops listening. But you'll see what's at RabbiFinman.com. There's, first of all, a way to connect to me. Uh, contact me right on the homepage. Archived editions of the radio show, the E-Parsha, the U-Parsha, different classes, different ways in which we present Judaism in an interesting and entertaining way. And there's also the very important donations page. The donations were needed. Okay, We're coming up to the end of February. Thank God. It trickled in. We got November and December. So now we just have... January and February to pay off. And it, it pays to play. You've been listening for 52 minutes and 11 seconds. No, 12, 14, 15. Yeah, you get the idea. You like it. You like listening to it. Go to the donations page. Help it stay on air. We are coming up to our 27th year. This next uh, two weeks, we're starting our 27th anniversary. That's like amazing. Who would have thought and we haven't been able to do it unless we had people like you listening who contributed. So go to RabbiFinman.com. You don't like internet giving? 
which I say this now, it's sort of like an anarchist, not anarchist, it's an anathema. It's something that was true in 1997 when we first started doing this, and people were like really worried that their credit cards are going to get stolen, but I don't think anything really to worry about. But if you'd rather send a check or cash or in kind, send that to The Jewish Hour, 1725 Pinecrest Drive, Ferndale, Michigan, 48220. This coming Thursday at 7.30, I believe it is, Hannah Finman will be doing a book review. The book is called The Tunnels. It's about the uh, the infrastructure in Israel. It's actually quite a fascinating book. I think it's a novel based on truism. It was written by one of the ministers of transportation of Israel from way back when, who started out as a leftist and became sort of like more moderate, leaning to the right. A very interesting, very interesting book. So that, that's uh, at Ferndale, Jewish Ferndale, 1725 Pinecrest Drive. And also will be on my Facebook. That's www.facebook.com.rabbi.finman. And you can listen there. Let's, we're going to run out of time. Okay, so this story never happened. It's a parable. There was a tailor by the name of Chaim. And Chaim was known as a shlomazel, which in Hebrew means shlomazel. This guy had no luck. He was anything he did touched to dirt. He was a tailor. He had 12 kids. He had a complaining wife. He struggled. He tried. One day, the Paretz, the local landowner, walks into his shop and says, I need 200 uniforms for my servants for a party I'm having this Friday. Can you make them? And he starts, I'm only just a little tailor. What do I have? And his wife, who's more of the business person, says, yes. So he says, fine. Uh, she says, we need an advance to buy for ta- the fabric. We don't have that kind of fabric in stock. And uh, he says, good. You'll come to the castle and you'll take the measurements and I'll give you the advance and I'll see you again Friday. Landowner leaves, parts leaves. So Chaim says to his wife, how are we supposed to make 200 uniforms before Friday? She says, this is what we'll do. We'll go right now to the palace. We'll take the measurements. We'll pick up the cash. We'll travel all night to the fair. We'll buy the material. We'll travel back. We'll work day and night. And we'll be able to knock out the 200 uniforms. And you'll see it'll work. She says, okay, fine. Look. They do this. They travel all night. They get there. The market's still closed. It's so early. And they take a, like a room in a hotel and he says, I have to go, Dove, and I have to pray. And she says to him, don't get lost. So right around the corner was a little shtibel, a little, a little synagogue. And it just so happened that the rabbi, was his uh, father had passed away on that day many years prior, and he had what was called the yard site. And after the services, so they sat around with some herring and some kichel and some lechayim, and the, fa- and the rabbi was telling stories about his father. In the meantime, it's 8 o'clock, it's 9 o'clock. This woman is becoming apoplectic. And she marches around the corner into the synagogue and says, Chaim, we have to go. And he says, where do we have to go? And she says, we have to go to the fair. He says, what do we need from the fair already? She says, oh, shlamazel. We need to go buy material. And she says, and what are we going to do with the material? She says, we're going to go home. We're going to make the uniforms. And he says, and then what will happen? He says, we'll present the uniforms to the, the, the parrots, to the landowner. And he says, and what will be when we present the uniforms? She says, I don't believe you. She says, then we'll get paid. And he says, and what will be when we have all that money? So she stops and says, then we'll be happy. He says to her, you have to go to the market. 
buy the material, travel all the way back home, work day and night, take the money, take them to the uniforms, to the to the landowner, get paid, and then you'll be happy. He says, I'm happy right now. That's the story. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you had a chance to entertain you a bit. We hope you had a chance to educate you a bit. We hope you have a great week. Take care. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.